0: Hello, I'm Amber Athey, Washington editor of The Spectator, and I'm here to tell you about our fantastic new election offer. Go to spectator.us slash election offer and subscribe to get three months free access to The Spectator US website and our new app available on the Apple and Google Play stores. Make sure you're getting the very best coverage and commentary in the run-up to November 3rd. Find out more at spectator.us slash election offer. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast. This is an election year. Will Donald Trump be re-elected? What is going on with the Democrats? And has America gone even more crazy? We'll be discussing all of these things and more, more than once a week, because we don't feel you have enough Americano in your life. I'm... Delighted to be joined by The Spectator's Dominic Green, who has just written an interview with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo that will be going live on The Spectator's American website tomorrow. And it's a very broad ranging interview in which you discuss the sort of philosophy of Mike Pompeo, at least as far as international relations is concerned. And I think it's fair to say you're you're quite an admirer. So you're no sycophant, Don, but it comes across that you are quite impressed by how Pompeo, as you put it, turns Trump's instincts into reality. Well, hello, Freddie. And I have to say, I
1: did think uh, Pompeo came across as extremely intelligent and also very good at balancing the two impulses, uh, as Henry Kissinger called them, the two impulses in America's dealings with the rest of the world. And one of them is the idealistic impulse, the one that says the United States is a new and different venture and therefore has a moral obligation to export its values. And the other is the traditional, very hard-headed, realist view of interests and alliances and how basically to obtain security and uh, good export and import terms for your businesses. And these, of course, as we've seen, are frequently out of balance in American foreign policy. The Bush administration in the early 2000s entered disastrous wars for the first motive and failed to salvage anything, really, that would service the second. And the Obama administration didn't do much better. So I do think, and as we know, the Trump administration does not receive the credit it deserves for what it's achieved in terms of balancing its foreign policy, and Pompeo has played an absolutely key role in that.
0: He's sort of united in a way, let's call it a neoconservative wing, of Republican foreign policy thinking with the Trumpist outlook on the world by pursuing Trump's efforts to get out of Afghanistan and the Middle East, while also conducting rather a hawkish diplomacy towards Iran. And by also standing up to China, he seems to have tied a fairly impossible thread through Trump's foreign policy.
1: Yes, these are two impulses which are really completely at odds with each other in a way and if you look at the neoconservative period it's similar to that of the Woodrow Wilson idealism and so on and the way that that jumped very quickly back into isolationism uh, immediately after the First World War. It's extremely hard to keep a balance between those two things if events intercede. Theoretically it can be done but of course the reality is such that if a serious crisis arises then you effectively have to make a choice between principle and reality. And my impression is that Pompeo will lean more towards reality. Now, reality, as it's understood, of course, is, is something else that can be talked about. There are those who would say that his approach to Iran is quite unreal that it's unnecessarily hostile and, you know, that the Obama era position could be actually revived even now. What is interesting, I think, in this election that's happening at the moment is that Joe Biden is is lining up with Trump when it comes to China, that the China policy seems now to be almost a consensus across the parties. And that's therefore a balance that can hold for a while longer.
0: Pompeo calls it principled realism, do you think when it comes to China, and in a lot of the interviews is about China, do you think that the Trump administration, it's fair to say, has demonstrated principal realism in its approach to China?
1: I think it's demonstrated a very realistic understanding of Chinese culture in a way. The long-term ambitions of the Chinese state now are firmly rooted in Chinese civilization. And I think compared to the idea that the rest of the world will, if given enough stuff, become American in some way, I think compared to that, that's a very, very realistic way of approaching it. The principle that they've tried to bring in is the one that serves American workers, American companies, and an American-led system. And this is why, in the interview, he starts talking about intellectual property. And we're used to all kinds of discussions about flashpoints here and so on. But intellectual property, which is one of the key parts of of how the modern economy runs, the United States made sure that Singapore, the chair of the, the UN panel concerned with intellectual property, rather than China's candidate. This kind of thing shows a very realistic understanding of what's at stake and how to do it. The difficulty is that the Trump administration has been more coherent in its foreign policy than in the other half of the equation which is how to turn these things into domestic policies
0: that work for American workers and industry well that's not really Pompeo's department but he's no no not at all <laughs> he talks a lot about China and he, i mean he says uh, he was a china hawk before it was cool no before before it was conventional which obviously it is now but so this is clearly something Pompeo has felt for a long period of time, the, the the China threat needed to be countered.
1: Well, Pompeo's background uh, is military, aviation technology, and latterly, of course, uh, director of the CIA. It's the kind of path to the State Department that uh, would have focused his minds on the security aspects of the China relationship more, perhaps, than the economic advantages to be had. It's true that the domestic aspect of it isn't his concern. Well, yet, um, the, the possibility of a Pompeo run at the presidency is something which is often cited. It was noted when he made his speech to the Republican Convention from Jerusalem that this was a very good way of signalling to the evangelical voters, which are crucial if he's, if he's to get the nomination, that he's their man. He
0: strikes me as somebody who could actually go all the way. And do you think his foreign policy outlook is rooted in his evangelical faith? That is a very good question. It's
1: rooted in it, but how far the branches go is another question. And, and there is a convergence between his evangelical faith, I mean, very clearly visible in, in his concern, say, for Israel, with wider and currents in American history. For instance, the, the Christian tone of public life, which is not something which has entirely disappeared yet, despite recent decades. There are powerful forces in American life, which I think Pompeo, by being... And Christian is probably closer to than the the historic Washington type, who may see everything purely in terms of uh, secular power and and uh, the gaining and losing of of government position.
0: Well, I thought it was very interesting when you asked him about the Thucydidean and trap, political scientist Graham Allison's book, Destined for War, which discusses the idea that it's inevitable that there is a conflict between. China and America, as China rises and America declines. And he says, I'll quote him, I studied Graham Allison when I was a cadet at West Point many, many moons ago. I admire him. He's just wrong. He's just wrong. The fundamental assumption that he has is that the United States is a declining power. It's just false. The United States continues to rise. We continue to improve. We continue to innovate. It continues to be the place people want to come to study, where people want to come to learn. There's truth in that. That puts him more on the idealistic wing of the two strands you're talking about. whereas It does, it does. And
1: and I wouldn't agree with all of what he said there. I mean, firstly, you know, in uh, Alison, in in his book, The Thucydides Trap, he, he allows that in about a third of the cases he considers, the conflict between the powers does not actually reach for all out war firstly. Of course, Pompeo rejects the premise entirely. I, I find myself disagreeing with at least part of what Pompeo is saying. The idea that America is rising is, 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 is um, easy to dispute in the sense that its share of global trade, for instance, is declining. We are, as, as he uses the word himself several times in this interview, we're in a multipolar world, um, not the 1990s. So, I'd have to say, I find this whole question of the, the Thucydides trap, I don't believe that the question is put aside as easily as all that, as, as easily as as Pompeo does uh, in this interview.
0: But speaking of the multipolar world, there is, of course, Russia, which still dominates a lot of American conversation about foreign policy, even if the threat of Russia has obviously decreased in the last 30 years. What did you think of Pompeo's views and position on Russia? Do you, Do you think he's... I thought it was very interesting what Pompeo
1: said about Russia because I I asked uh, whether he thought relations had improved since 2016 because they had declined consistently from 1990 until the 2016 elections and and even through them. And, And what he said was effectively, yes, that there are areas in which the US and Russia have been able to cooperate, security in particular. The the big question that is lurking behind that is this question about a multipolar world, because a multipolar world necessarily means a world that goes back to something like a world of spheres of influence. It's obvious that the United States has its own unofficial uh, Monroe Doctrine. Um, similarly, Russia has its sphere of influence and its traditional leverage in the region, and I think Pompeo was very carefully trying to thread between these two positions. And this is a point at which principle realism starts to break into two very different things. In principle, he had support to give, say, for protesters in Belarus. In principle, he had support for protesters in Belarus, just as in principle he has support for the self-determination of the Iraqi people. In reality, of course, the United States is not going to go to war over Belarus and democracy. And in reality, the fact that 60% of the population of Iraq are Shias means that Iran is going to retain a controlling stake in the country and that only American troops, for instance, can enforce any kind of settlement that would suit the United States. So I think there are points at which principled realism breaks down, and it's very clear, I think, in the case of Russia that realism has come out. I wasn't so sure that the realism was as strong when it came to the question of the Middle East because being committed to withdrawing troops from Afghanistan and Iraq while simultaneously retaining influence seems to me to be simply too much.
0: Well, let's talk about the Middle East on our world tour with Mike Pompeo and Dominic Green. It seems to me because America has ceded to a sort of strategy of spheres of influence that it's been able to make... Quite significant strides in, well, just this week, we've seen the Abraham Accords, which, however cynical you want to be about be about them, and, and you can be, they are significant. They are historic in many ways. And if you told someone five years ago that Jared Kushner was going to be able to broker uh, reconciliation between Gulf states and Israel, they would have thought you were mad. Do you think that's because they are working with spheres of influence rather than projecting American power, as sort of crudely as the Bush administration did?
1: Yes, I do. And the overall aim is to get out of the region. And frankly, I wouldn't have believed it about Jared Kushner either. I've written some very rude things about him recently, and, and now I should probably recant them. Um, one of the interesting give him the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, Yeah, why not? They're handing them out. Uh, One of the things is this, it is entirely realistic, of course, to look for powerful actors who who can act for the United States or against Iran. And the two things seem to be almost um, identical in the administration's conception. There is this longstanding, quiet security cooperation between Israel and the Gulf states. And this has then come into the open. And there are other uh, factors which almost... um, non-security base, which is simply to do with economic opportunities and the exhaustion of religious wars. On the other hand, the presence of Iran is not the only factor that is pushing this alliance together. Um, Turkey, which of course once held the entire Arab Middle East in its sphere of influence, Turkey is expanding itself as well, um, often in concert with Russia. And so it's not As simple as it might appear, there isn't an immediate restoration of balance here. Even if uh, U.S. troops were to be withdrawn from Iraq tomorrow, the region would still be very much a struggle between empires, and two of them, iran and uh, Turkey, of course, are actually there. The third, Russia, is not going any. The fourth one, the United States, is the one that's a faraway power, a distant power, the only great empire not to have emerged from Eurasia. And it's going to be very difficult for the US to secure all of its objectives, I feel, without actually remaining there. And that, of course, is something which is not at all something the public wants or something this administration wants.
0: To what extent do you think it's fair to say that The Trump administration, through Jared Kushner and also perhaps through Mike Pompeo, has effectively just outsourced its Middle Eastern policies to Israel and particularly to Benjamin Netanyahu. I
1: think it's quite accurate to say that in the way that empires or quasi empires have always worked by subcontracting the work. Um, it, it usually goes very badly, as we've seen, if you take people from a totally different culture and dump them on, upon a, a population that doesn't want it. The British used to say, We don't rule the Egyptians, we rule the people who rule the Egyptians. And that was how the British Empire worked it's subcontracted to local leaders. Netanyahu is, is, is very successful, and as some somehow managed to, to work the situation towards legitimating Israel in the eyes of uh, the leaders of, of Arab states, which have been openly hostile for decades. This, therefore, is a, is a sort of realistic uh, piece of outsourcing. And so far, it does seem to have worked. I mean, I'm I'm as amazed as you are that Jared Kushner has, has managed to pull this off. But then I'm also amazed, as we all are, that Donald Trump, a man whose expertise um, was mainly involved in things like pricing gold taps and marble, has actually worked out what was wrong with American foreign policy, even though for decades the experts had been heading in a completely different direction. The big question is um, how much Netanyahu can actually deliver and how much he's uh, prepared to, as much as able to. The Israeli-Palestinian conflict isn't going away, for instance.
0: Netanyahu will have the weight of America behind him, and then on Saturday we're going to have the so-called snapback on sanctions With Iran. And there's some interesting tension, isn't there, between America and Europe, and particularly Germany, France, and Britain. And I think, particularly with Britain, as you've reported, the State Department, or at least the people running the State Department, are very disappointed that Britain seems to have gone along with the European position rather than supporting America with its very tough line on sanctions.
1: This is very true. The the administration has secured a united front in the region by lining up Israelis and Arabs. What it has not managed to do is secure a united front diplomatically. And the split, as you're saying, between the US and the Europeans, it, it seems to be unbridgeable. When I spoke to Pompeo briefly on the phone um, about three weeks ago, the word he used was that he regretted the way that Britain in particular had voted, and in you know diplomatic speak, regret means I really cannot believe it and I'm extremely extremely upset by it and subsequent noises from the administration, from state, do suggest that. They, they feel that Britain in particular is, is behaving in a very erratic way, and a lot of uh, times they will refer to the Huawei episode as well, that this was something in which the US made a very clear statement of its preferences, and um, Boris Johnson appeared to go in the face of it. And Huawei, of course, he had to back down. How he's going to square it away at the UN, I don't know, because there is this move going on in Britain to try and soften the Brexit problem by arriving in a foreign policy alignment with France and Germany.
0: Well, Dominic Raab was in Washington this week and was asked about the snapback sanctions on Iran and what, what Britain's position would be. And he wasn't really able to give a clear answer. And as far as I understand, a lot of Americans are asking, what have you been doing for the last year and a half that you haven't come up with a position on this matter that we consider that the most powerful country in the world considers absolutely paramount
1: yeah well they haven't they've been hoping that it would go away that um the the, the one thing i think everybody in the west agreed on for a long time was that the Iran question could be kicked as far down the road as possible without conflict, and that that would be the optimal uh, answer to this, and to wait out the regime, basically, to hope that there would be some kind of, of a peaceful transition. And that, uh, in my mind, still may, may, remains the only sane option. The problem is, I feel, that COVID 19 has been a sort of multiplier of all of this, that the economic attraction of working with the regime in Iran. And the export economy of Iran is closely controlled by the regime. It's not really easy to separate the two. The economic attractions of that have now been rendered so great by the need to restore the economies of the West in the wake of the pandemic that I get the clear impression that Germany and France certainly, and perhaps Britain as well, would actually prefer the risk of antagonising the Americans and instead getting the profits of that, especially if... Joe Biden wins on November the 3rd and a different Iran policy becomes the American policy.
0: Do you think that Pompeo's view of Iran is, if not simplistic, a little bit too much of a caricature of what Iran is? Yes, you know, yes. He, everybody he, says he, the biggest state sponsor of terror, but that's not all Iran is. No, he was um, described China as the
1: Chinese Communist Party. And he describes Iran in similar terms. And of course, in both cases, we're talking about discrete and very old civilizations which have their own vocabulary diplomatically politically socially and are very flexible in dealing with challenges i mean that's how you become an ancient civilization is you have more than one string to your bow and so often the the very bullheaded direct american approach is something which bounces off or can or can be deflected in a way and we've seen this in both cases iran has has played a very smart game uh, with limited resources uh, in the same way as north korea has for instance and it's true they the taking the attitude of outright hostility and aggression does in a way force moderates to side with the extremists in that you're with us or against us and that is the great risk that if it comes to the crunch and you pick the principle or you pick the realism that actually you're also damaging the forces that you would hope would side with you
0: if biden wins in november and we agree that pompeo has made substantial strides in foreign policy how quickly could it all be undone? How quickly could a Biden administration undo everything Pompeo has done on Iran? We talked earlier about China. We think that that it's a sort of bipartisan shift now, but the Middle East strategy could could unravel quite quickly, presumably.
1: I think certainly regarding Iran, I suspect that um, the Biden administration would do its best to uh, pocket the gains of the Israeli-Arab rapprochement and then push for negotiations on a Palestinian state, which would not likely result from negotiations and would lead to a, a further diplomatic crisis of the kind that the obama administration had in its dealings with israel with russia it's it's hard to tell in that there may well be a lot of polemical anti-russia talk i mean last night on on uh, the town hall that was um televised here biden spoke of Russia in harsher terms than he did of China. He called China a competitor, but Russia he described as an adversary. And of course, the Republicans and most people would have it the other way around, that actually, no, China is the the adversary power here. Russia is competing in a manageable way. So there would be real reversals. And uh, it's very hard to imagine that the Biden administration would find its feet easily, not least because Biden himself doesn't appear to have a a coherent uh, vision of the
0: world. Well, and that's something I find odd is that uh, polls consistently show people trust Biden more with foreign policy than they do Donald Trump. But I mean, it seems to me the Trump administration, I, one can criticise it a lot, but they seem to have a clear idea of what they're trying to do in foreign policy, whereas Biden's approach seemed to be a sort of default to the pre-Trump settings, but not actually try to change much.
1: Yes, and that would could actually turn out very badly for the U.S. in that the world is a, a much less stable and much more competitive place than it was even in 2016. And, let, and let's face it, the Obama-era foreign policy was not a great success. It didn't rack up diplomatic breakthroughs. It led to a, a daft war, really, in Libya, and the acceleration of, of the drone wars and so on. It was not a great success. And one of the things uh, which is always positive you can say about Donald Trump is is that he has been against the blob, he has been against the Washington consensus, and it's hard to see that a Biden government would be anything other than a restoration of that consensus without any real fresh thinking about how drastically
0: things are changing. Tom, I think we'll leave it there, but thank you very much for writing this excellent interview with uh, Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State. I recommend that everybody subscribes to The Spectator's American Edition and reads it.